0: Tonight, and uh, looking forward to a, a wonderful time together. And so, I welcome you. Welcome those who always join us online. Always glad to have you part of our time together. Uh, recently, I've been trying to do the Bible study up front and then finish with prayer. Somehow, or another we run out of time uh, to do the prayer time. So, we're going to start with prayer tonight. Okay. And um, I have the prayer list in front of me, but of course, I don't have the time really to go through all of these. So I've just highlighted a few and uh, then we'll go from there. Uh, first of all, uh, Ms. Catherine here asked us, Ms. Catherine Brown asked to pray for her sister, Marie Ford. Uh, she has had a slight stroke and she's in rehab now. But I uh, just want to keep her before the Lord, see, uh, the, trusting that God is going to help her with that. And, and hopefully, being a slight stroke, there won't be anything that will hinder her uh, once she gets through with all that she needs to do. Uh, I want us to pray for Joe Campbell. Uh, we don't talk about Joe that much, but uh, Joe has been struggling for quite a while now with blood clots in his lungs. And um, he's at home, but he's on 24-7 oxygen. And and uh, Jackie was telling me that just to go you know, to the bathroom and back, he almost can't make it back. He's just not getting the oxygen that he needs because of his blood clots. So I think we need to be lifting up uh, Brother Joe. Uh, Miss Laurie Brock, uh, sometimes she's here with us on Sunday night with her family, but... Uh, As you know, she does have uh, cancer uh, on her kidney. She's got a tumor there, and uh, she went to see an oncologist. I think they're trying to make plans of what approach to take, whether to freeze it, whether to take part of the kidney out, take the whole kidney out. I don't know what the final decision is, but uh, let's remember our sister in Christ uh, with what she is going through. Doug Tinsley. Uh, he's gone through five surgeries in the last 21 days. All of them the same surgery. Has to do with blood clots and bleeding in his bladder. And uh, that has caused complications, self kidney issues in addition to that now, and things. So, And uh, he's at St. Francis downtown, and so I keep in touch, of course, through Bertha. We text him all the time. They will not let me in. Uh, to see and I would love to put my eyes on him, but I can't, so, uh, but what we can do is we can pray, so I want to remember Doug, hopefully this last one will work, and um, he'll be able to get home, and and I know that that would help him, but he is absolutely exhausted, and of course, birthday is exhausted, just being there uh, through all of this with him, so let's remember uh, Doug, of course, we we'll remember uh, Julie's mom here Miss Blanche Spears and, and her husband Ron, as you know, she is home, um, and uh, it's, I'm just going to use the word, it's tough, is that, is that <laughs> it's really tough uh, for Ron, but for the whole family, just trying to love on her, minister to her, there's some some things that have changed a little bit, and they're wondering why some of that has changed, so. Let's pray that the doctors will have wisdom and discernment, whether it's in terms of medication, whatever it is that uh, they need to work on. Uh, But just emotional, physical, mental, spiritual strength is needed by all and uh, the whole family. And and so I want us to really just uh, keep them, not just tonight. uh, Please be praying for them daily, of course. Uh, Kelly Dillavu we've been talking about Kelly and uh, the insurance companies come through. So uh, Emory's on go and uh, she hopes to hear from them sometime the first of this coming week. And as to when she can come back down there, got a few more tests to run and then go from there. So uh, had a bad day yesterday, uh, and uh, but uh, we're hoping that today was a better day. She did come Wednesday. Probably overdid it, and uh, but uh, we want to keep Kelly, and, and she struggles with the cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, but as she says it, and her mom here says that, uh, and oh, God has this, right? God has it, so we're we're trusting in Him for that. And of course, we always want to be praying for uh, Mister Landon Clark and keeping him before the Lord and trusting that God is. To put his hand on on him, and uh, he's he's, reason. By the way, we're having hot dogs and and fries for Wednesday night. Uh, They were having a conference on what to cook for the next Wednesday night, and he spoke up and said hot dogs. And so, hey, that's what he wants. Let's go for it, right? And uh, that's what we're doing. But he's, uh, you know, we want to keep praying, of course, for Landon. There's so many others on the list, and I know. I'm probably not covering everybody, but I want us to pray for these tonight. I want you to be praying for for them on a regular basis. Hopefully, I'll get to you in just a moment, but uh, hopefully, we'll get out an updated prayer list this coming week. Okay, Nancy. Okay. You see, my wife says I have selective hearing, and what that means is I don't hear well. (laughs) So, I'm going to come back here where you are, huh? Can you update us on Debbie Cooley? On Debbie Cooley, I I don't have an update for today. Uh, Debbie fell a week and a half ago, uh, went to uh, the ER. They didn't find anything broken or anything like that, but she was in tremendous amount of pain, so they gave her some pain medication and sent her home. Uh, Friday, she was having pain, uh, severe pain, so she called 911 and they took her back uh, to check her out again. Um, I have not heard from her since then, okay? So uh, I'm not sure, I don't have an update uh, for her, for Debbie Cooley. Mr. Mark. Yes, that's Johnny Davis. Thank you. Uh, Was the other one Les? Les Liles. All right, so Mark, I wasn't in their Sunday school class, but apparently uh, Les is having surgery on his hand. Johnny Davis does uh, have an aneurysm that they're going to uh, be um, uh, operating on. Basically, what they're going to do is put a stent in. And uh, so uh, they've been talking about it in terms of outpatient. I don't get that, but, you know, they've come a long way. So, but basically go in um, and put in that stamp that, that protects the walls. There, there are two types of aneurysm, so let me just go ahead and got it on my mind. i share it with you. One where they bulge on both sides, all right, and then one where it just bulges on one side. That's the one that's most concerned about because that's stretching that that uh, blood vessel to its, to us. Too far, so that's the kind he has. So that's why they're going to go in. They're going to put a stamp, protect that uh, uh, from the walls of the blood vessel, and, and they'll go from there. So uh, Johnny Davis will be having that surgery coming up. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. All right, let's go. To the Lord in prayer. Okay. So let's go lord in prayer father god as we come i just begin with renee here uh lord this has been a a long road uh that she has been on uh lord uh, work related issues that um lord has caused some some serious physical needs that she has in her shoulders and her arms and uh so father god we want to bring her before you we ask him again lord as we do with so many, when we know that you know the doctors and nurses and technicians, you know the teams that work with each and every one of these. And, and so we're always bringing them up before you because they're your tools, uh, Lord, to minister to us. So I'm asking for, first of all, those that are working with her, whether it be therapy, whether it be the nerve test uh, that uh, she is going to be having, uh, whether it be the next surgery that comes up in terms of her shoulder and arm on the left side. So. But in the meantime, Lord God, as you're using them, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit uh, that you just wrap your loving arms around her. Just remind her that she is loved. She's loved by us. She's loved by you. And Lord, give her peace within her heart. Uh, as uh, she continues this this journey. It's, it's been long. It's been hard. It's been difficult. So, Lord God, uh, we want to reach out to her, but we're asking you to lavish your grace upon her. And, Lord God, not her, but everyone that we mentioned here tonight, uh, Brother Joe Campbell and Miss Lori Brock and Doug Tinsley and Blanche Spears with Ron and the family and Kelly Dillivue and Landon Clark, Marie Ford, and dear Father, Miss Debbie Cooley, and uh, Les Lawless, and Johnny Davis, Lord. These uh, represent many, many others that, that we know, that we care for, and um, you're the one who instructed us to stand in the gap, uh, to make up that hedge, and so that's what we're doing tonight. Uh, I'm before you with all of them with me in heart and spirit and asking you to to just, Lord, lavish not only your grace on them, but, Lord, to, to show yourself mighty on behalf of all of these, that your name will be glorified, that, Lord God, that they would know that you have demonstrated your love and power in their lives, and that we may testify of your greatness and your goodness, Lord God. Uh, in our lives and, and, Lord, to a lost and dying world that needs to know you, know your glory, know your grace, know your love in their own lives. So, Father, thank you for the privilege to stand in the gap, and I, I pray that each of us will, will not just right now in our hearts be in the spirit of prayer, but, Lord God, will continue to lift these up uh, to you and the others that are on our heart and mind as well. So, it's committed to you, all of them. We trust you with all of our heart. Now we ask, Lord, that you just speak a fresh word to us as we get into your word. You lead us and you guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, As we get into God's word tonight, open up the book of Revelation, and we're in chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13. And our focus in chapter 13 is on... The unholy trinity. One of the things you discover about Satan when you, when you study scripture, but particularly in the book of Revelation, is that um, because of his desire to be worshipped uh, as God, uh, he tries to mimic God. And we know the holy trinity is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But Satan seeks to mimic that with an unholy trinity and involves him, of course, Satan. It involves the Antichrist, which I refer to in this study as the false prince, Um, comparing him, of course, to the faithful prince, the true prince of peace, and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then the third part of the unholy trinity Uh, is the false prophet, and that's what our focus is going to be on tonight, the false prophet, and uh, all of this begins to take place, and and Satan knows his time is short, and uh, Satan knows that very soon, even in in terms of where we are in our study of Revelation, uh, we're right in the middle of the seven and a half years of tribulation, Uh, it's kicking in and he knows that very soon the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to set up his thousand year reign uh, here upon the earth. And so he is uh, in full gear, uh, seeking to achieve his own purposes through this unholy trinity. So last week we looked together at the false pretz. That's Revelation chapter thirteen, verses one through ten. Tonight we're going to look at the false prophet. And I want to draw your attention to three things as we work our way through verses 11, uh, chapter 13, verse 11 through verse 18, the end of this chapter. Three things about the false uh, prophet uh, that is revealed to us in this chapter. First of all, I want you to notice his deceptive appearance. His deceptive appearance. Appearance. Here's what verse 11 says. It says, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now, a couple of things here. When we look at the very first part of verse 11, and John says, I saw another beast. Beast. That word another means the same as the one I saw before, just like the one we were talking about in the first part of this chapter. And you recall that uh, the dragon was standing on the sand, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, and John says, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. And we talked about that the sea, from my understanding, represents the Gentile uh, world in, in, in contrast to the Jewish world. God, uh, through Abraham, through the seed of Abraham, uh, established, he built uh, the nation of Israel uh, for which to bring the Messiah, bring salvation, and, and bring uh, us into a personal living relationship with him. But all through history, and we looked at this in the prophecy of Daniel, so let me just kind of remind you briefly of this, that Satan has been trying to use powerful Gentile nations, the Babylon nation. Uh, the nation of Babylon, the nation of the Mede Persians, the nation of Greek led by Alexander the Great, the Roman Empire, and now the revived Roman Empire, Empire as we have been studying here in Revelation. It's always, he's always seeking to, have, uh, seek to achieve his goal, using a Gentile nation to mimic what God has done but to bring power to himself and worship to himself. Up to this point, he has failed. But here in Revelation chapter 13, because the Holy Spirit, the restraining work of the Holy Spirit has been removed, he's going to achieve at least a Gentile nation We see it as the revived Roman Empire, not going to get back into that tonight, but by which he can have world power and eventually through this false prophet that we're looking at that he is going to bring worship, Satan's going to be able to bring worship to himself through the Antichrist and this false prophet uh, for himself. It's going to be short-lived, but it is going to occur. So, we see his deceptive appearance here. So, here he doesn't talk about a beast coming out of the sea, but he talks about a beast coming out of the earth. He says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And a lot of people speculate on why he made the change. What does that mean in, in, in relation to, well, the first beast came out of the sea, that would be the Gentiles. What is this beast that comes from the earth? And I discovered that I was as I was looking at this, there's a phrase that is used quite often in the book of Revelation where it talks about the people of the earth, those who dwell on the earth. And it is repeated through Revelation. And what I notice in the context of every single one of these times where that phrase is used or something familiar, it's talking about. Uh, those who are unbelievers, those who have rejected the gospel, those who have rejected the Lord, those who have been in rebellion against God. And so my conviction at this moment, as I look at that, is when he's talking about, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, it's talking about the multitude, the many, many on earth at this time who have already rebelled, who have already rejected the, the world of the unbelievers. Now, having said that, it says, it describes him as having two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now, if you'll just turn with me just for a moment to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, we get a picture of Jesus. Jesus our Lord and Savior. And, of course, he's described like a lamb. And it says in in Revelation chapter 5 and and in verse 6, John says, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns, And seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Most of you know, I'm sure, that the number seven is the number for perfection. It's the number that is used of God. Seven horns talks about power. So this lamb that we read about, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the lamb who has sovereign power. Here, the lamb that is spoken of, and verse 11 only has two horns. Now, the number two in Scripture is used to refer to the witness. You know, the Scripture says where we have a witness of two, where two or three are gathered, or the witness of two. And, and so it kind of gives us insight as to that this this particular false prophet that we're going to be studying is going to appear as a lamb. In other words, uh, there is a religious connection here. Uh, Somehow or another, he's going to be involved in the worship of the beast, the Antichrist, the false prince, which ultimately leads, of course, to the worship of Satan. And, And that's going to be his power. His power is to influence. His power is to promote. His power is to make sure he can bring deception to the unbelieving world that is left upon this earth. Now, there are believers there. Do I have a witness on that? You got 144,000 Billy Graham Jewish evangelists. We've had the two witnesses who also were bearing witness of the Lord. We've already had in the first three and a half years the revival of all revivals. People from every nation and every tongue after the rapture of the church, and the witness of these people have come to know Christ. So we have a lot of followers of Christ here on this earth, but nothing compared to the number of people who have already, who have already really rebelled and rejected the Lord. It says here, it says that he has two horns like a lamb, I thought about this passage over in 2 Corinthians, if you would turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 13 through 15. And it's a reference to Satan primarily, but also to those who are his followers like false apostles and false teachers and things of that nature. But listen. Listen to what Paul reminds us of, beginning in verse 13. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, uh, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. In other words, what you see on the surface is not the reality. And then it says, no wonder, Paul says, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as, As an angel of light, therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Well, this man, this false prophet, is the ultimate example of what Paul is talking about here. And it says, though he appeared as a lamb with horns, says he spoke as a dragon. What does that mean? He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Uh, Jesus, as you know, in John chapter 8 and in verse 44, spells it out quite clearly. He says, he's talking to uh, these Pharisees and others who are questioning him, who he is. and, And, of course, he says back to them, you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. And so this is who this false prophet is. He comes on as a lamb. He comes on as someone who's going to lead them to the truth. Who truly is God? Who truly should be worshipped? But he's just filled with the devil himself as he also works hand in hand with the false prince, the antichrist to achieve Satan's goal. So we see first of all, his his deceptive appearance. Look with me in Second Thessalonians. There are many, and I kind of agree with them that um, this one, this false prophet, is going to be the two ultimately in the hand of God to bring this ultimate strong delusion upon the unbelieving world. They think, think about this. Here we are halfway in the in the seventy years of tribulation. And as I shared earlier, they've had 144,000 Billy Grahams around the world uh, proclaiming Christ and the gospel, the good news of grace and forgiveness and salvation, along with the two powerful witnesses. And so they have heard it, they have seen thousands and thousands come to know Christ. But, but they rejecting it all. So here, here's what the scripture says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For this reason, let me back up and read verse 10. And with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Now this is a direct word to those of the seven years of tribulation who's had an incredible opportunity. We had one Billy Graham. (laughs) They have 144,000 of them around the world proclaiming the word, proclaiming the gospel. So then he says in verses 11 and 12, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. And I believe this man, the false prophet, is one of the tools, the main tool the Lord will use in terms of responding to their absolute rejection of him, their rebellion against him in their hearts and in their lives. So he comes to his deceptive appearance. Notice the second thing about this false prophet. Not only his deceptive appearance, but his dynamic appeal. His dynamic appeal. Verse 12. He says he exercises all the authority of the first beast. Well, the first beast, of course, was the Antichrist, the false prince. We saw that in Revelation 13. So let me just remind you of of what it says in verse 2. He's referred to as the beast, but this is the Antichrist. This is the false prince. And it says in verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. We won't get into that tonight. But then he says this, and the dragon, which is Satan, gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. Well, now we learn in verse 12, talking about the false prophet, that he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And so all the authority, all the power, uh, all that goes with being able to work together hand in glove by which to deceive this world. And so he says he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it. Now, let me remind you, Again, it talks about those of the earth, all that dwell in it. He obviously is not talking about all who came to know Christ in that revival of revivals that you read about in Revelation chapter 7. He has to be talking about the unbelieving world. And so he says this and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, to worship. The Antichrist to worship this false prince whose fatal wound was healed. And you recall last week, uh, this was another example of Satan trying to mimic God. He tries to mimic the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, through the Antichrist in terms of, of trying to deceive the world that. He has the power of God Himself. Let, let me remind you of this, though, if you look at this with me, um, in 2 Thessalonians, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment as well, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and in, uh, in verse 9, this is a reference to the Antichrist and the false prince, but it applies to the false prophet. And here's what it says that is, the one who's coming, listen to this. The one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and science, and watch this, false wonders, false wonders. And so Satan tries to mimic the things of God. He's trying to mimic the Trinity. So now we've got an unholy Trinity, Satan, the false prince and the false prophet. He tries to mimic the resurrection of Christ with, quote, unquote, the resurrection of the Antichrist, the false prince. It says here that he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. He's going to be dynamic, obviously. In his ability to convince people that he is truly speaking to them truth, it's all a lie. It's all false. That's why he's the false prophet. And you would think, you know, in our minds, we're thinking, how can anyone believe that? But just think about history. Think about those who have stood up and have led thousands and millions. Uh, that and they just they almost fall at their feet. Think about Hitler. Just the impact he had. His ability to be able to rally this Germany against the Jews and really against the world in that sense. Think about, uh, think about those who, uh, you know, f- have followed false teachers, you know, and, and you know, to their death. And, you know, we, we think about some of those things that has happened. We think, how, how could that happen? Well, I'm tell you, with the power of Satan behind them, people who don't know the truth Uh, like sheep led to the slaughter if I may use that phrase in that context as opposed to how it's used in Romans chapter 8. And he's going to lead the whole unbelieving world to worship the Antichrist for the very purpose of worshipping Satan. In fact this is not going to be on the screen because I I didn't give this to him but Revelation chapter 13. Let me go ahead and read verse 3 of the Antichrist and you'll see what I'm talking about. It says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and his fatal, uh, fatal wound was healed. This is Satan mimicking the resurrection of Christ through the Antichrist. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Watch this, verse 4, they worshiped the dragon. They worshiped Satan because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, the Antichrist said, who is like him? Who's like the beast? Who's able to wage war with him? And so we see it unfolding. So as we consider this false prophet, we start with his deceptive appearance, his dynamic appeal. But here's where we we start really digging deeper, and that is his deadly approach. So look at it with me in two ways. First of all, his power to blind mankind. His power to blind mankind. Verses 13 through 15. It says, He performs great signs, so that even make he even makes fire come out of heaven to earth in the presence of men. You recall uh, the prophet Elijah up on Mount Carmel, and he's praying and and as he prays during the hour of the evening sacrifice, God sends fire down from heaven to consume that sacrifice. Let everybody know who the true God is. And so here again, through this false prophet, Satan is trying to mimic God here. It says, he performs great signs so that even he makes fire come out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he dece- deceives those who dwell on earth. Here it is again, that phrase, who dwell on earth. He's not talking about uh, the uh, 144,000. He's not talking about all who come to know Christ. These uh, see through his deception. But listen is what it says. And it sees those who dwell on earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, the antichrist, telling those who dwell on earth to make an image to the beast, to the Antichrist, who had the wound of the sword and has come back to life. This has happened many times in history, but you probably recall that Daniel, the prophet Daniel, and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, had to deal with this issue. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, again, one of the Gentile nations that Satan was using for the times of the Gentiles, as the scripture calls it. Uh, had this image made of him. And the declaration was everybody was to bow and worship that image of him. And if they didn't, then they, they faced the death sentence, right? They faced the death sentence. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. Of course, delivered... <laughs> gloriously by our Lord, because there wasn't three. King Nebuchadnezzar said, look, there is four in there. One looks like the Son of Man, which is a reference to, really, the Lord Christ Himself, even in the Old Testament. So it says, he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the sign which was given him to perform in the presence of these, beast, telling those who dwell on earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him, watch this, the false, the false prophet, it was given to him to give breath. And that word literally means to breathe, to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and causes many who do not worship the image of the beast To be killed. No explanation is given to us as to how this image will have the breath of life. But as a result, many, many will be killed you recall I'm just uh, you just go ahead and put the reference up there I'm not going to turn to it because I'm watching my time up here but, but this is not the first time Satan has tried to mimic the power of God you remember when Moses stood before Pharaoh and uh, he was seeking to convince Pharaoh let God's people go let my people go which was of course the children of Israel that and so he, you know, he threw the staff down and it turned into a snake. And there were different things he was doing up front. And, and the scripture says that the magicians, that's a key word, the magicians of Egypt were able to do the same thing. And of course, so, so God just takes it to the next level, <laughs> as you know. So Satan has on many, many occasions sought to mimic the power of God. We don't know. There's no explanation as to how. You know, we we would think in this day and time with the technology we have, what in the past looked like, whoa, I mean, how? And we may say, we can see it happening in our day and time. And so he, he causes them to have to face the reality of death. Now, when he makes reference here to the worship of the image of the beast, we have to be reminded of when that is going to happen and where that is going to happen. Uh, At this time in the seven years of tribulation, we know that um, the temple has already been rebuilt. The one that was destroyed by the Romans uh, will be rebuilt. And I've already shared with you that those plans are ready. It's just waiting for that door to open up. The blueprints are already uh, produced. Uh, The high priests are being prepared. Uh, The different kinds of sacrificial animals are being raised. Uh, And uh, so, uh, everything is, they're, they're in the process of putting everything together in Israel today. Even though Israel as a nation is one of the most secular nations on the earth right now, there is that remnant that God always has that, uh, that uh, are all in with Jehovah, with Yahweh, the Lord their God. And so we are reminded then when we talk about this image of what Daniel spoke of and what Jesus spoke of as well. But in Daniel chapter 9, you recall that in the vision that the Lord gave to him, in verses 26 and 27, well, let me just pick up with verse 27. I think that's the one I, I think I gave. Well, it is 26, 27. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. And that's exactly what happened. Christ was crucified. (coughs) Excuse me. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This tells us that the false prince to come will have some connection to the revived Roman Empire. Because that is the empire in that day and time that came and destroyed the city and the temple. He says, but in the middle of the week, which is seven years, the seven years of tribulation, it's in verse 27, and he This false prince will make a firm covenant with many for one week, that is seven years, pretending to be a true prince of peace, which he's not. But in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. That's what we simply refer to uh, as the abomination of desolation. Here's what's going to happen. The image that is created by man will be placed in the new temple in the Holy of Holies, and he's going to demand that he be worshipped as God, that there are no other gods. And many are going to lose their life. And if you recall, again, I'm just going to skip through this. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Those who have been martyred, as you know, were under the throne and crying out to God. When? When will our revenge come? Though so it is power to blind mankind. And then his power to bind mankind. So let me read verses 16 through 18 and then come back and just share a few thoughts with you here. The false prophet not only blinds mankind, but he binds mankind this way. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. You know this as the mark of the beast. The word that he uses here was a common word for that day and time, particularly in the Roman Empire. It was a word used. It literally means to engrave. It's a word that was used to describe the coinage, let's say, of uh, the Roman commerce, where there would be a, an image of Caesar on that coin, or there would be the name of Caesar. On that coin, or that there would be uh, the years he has served on that coin, and, and those were the—that's what you had to use to be able to buy and sell. John takes that word and applies it to all, all the unbelievers that at that time were on the face of the earth. They will receive, and it's going to have to be a visible mark. They have committed themselves to Satan, to the unholy trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And it will be a visible mark. I don't know what it will look like. But but the scripture says it's either going to be his name or an image uh, or something of that kind, the number of his name. But they will receive a mark, and so you'll be able to know. Everybody's going to know who is worshiping Satan and who's worshiping the true living God. There's not going to be any in between. And then it says this in verse 17. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the ones who has the mark, either the name of the beast, the Antichrist, or the number of his name. Now I want you to think about the impact of that. It's not just that you're not going to be able to buy food. You're not going to be able to buy anything. Medical needs, clothing, whatever it may be, nothing. If you you do not wear the mark of the beast signifying that you worship Satan, you worship the false prince. You are part of this ultimate, final, universal unbelievers' religion. Nothing. How can they control that? Well, how many of you here have heard of the company? called Digital Angel, right? So, you know what I'm talking about. Digital Angel is a company that manufactures tracking devices for people, for animals, food supply, the government, and the military. Isn't that an interesting name? <laughs> Digital Angel. How many of you are familiar with their latest work called the VERY TRIP? Chip. The VERY Chip. All right? The VERY Chip has been approved by the FDA. It is a device right now that they supposedly are supposed to only use medically, okay? It's small chip. They can put it under your skin with a needle syringe that is smaller than the syringe used for insulin. No one would know it's there. This has been approved for people for medical reasons now. But they are already are expanding it. And I was reading about it. They use it of course to monitor uh, those who are at risk patients. And so you can be at home. They know your heartbeat. They know how much oxygen you you're you're taking in? They, they can know literally your temperature, everything through this. Sounds like it's a pretty good idea, right? You don't have to camp out at the doctor's office. Um, they use it uh, to be able to um, uh, take care of animals. And so, if you want to, you can have them put this, if you own a farm and you've got horses, you've got cattle. or wh- Listen, you can do this with your, your pets even now. And so, you, you know, if they, if they leave the yard, so to speak, you don't have to, you know, uh, walk around and, and search and be yelling, Jethro, where did you go? It's our dog. <laughs> no, it just ain't exactly where he is. Sound pretty good, right? See how easy this is? That, they're using that now. If you want to use it, you can use it now. Uh, they use it in managing, listen to this, commodity supply chains. This berry chip is what they call it, V-E-R-I-C-H-I-P. They're using it to maintain the location or monitor the location for paroles. They use it to provide, listen to this, to provide a tamper-proof means of identification for enhancement of e-commerce security. Now think about it. They can do what I'm fixing to say now. They don't have permission to do it now, but they can do it. They can put one of these ships in you, have one central computer for this world. Easy. And everything about you. And just think, I mean, one said you can say, oh, this is brilliant. I mean, I don't have to have a credit card. We are going, you do realize this, we're going to a cashless society. It's probably going to happen in our lifetime. We're we're going there. And you're not going to need a credit card. You're not going to need anything but that chip. But how do you get that chip? Well, you get that chip by worshiping Satan. You get the mark of the beast. You can get the chip. Now I'm I'm you know, I'm just talking about the possibility here. How easy this is going to be. This is not difficult at all. We do it now. It can be done now. Your children. Someone tries to kidnap your child, they know exactly where your child is. Boy, that sounds good. Nobody can steal your credit card. I can go to, I'm trying to think, I can't believe I can't think of the coffee shop. Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah. All right, so I have been to Starbucks before and I've used my credit card that's got the chip. Now, not all Starbucks have this, but some of them have this, and that is when you drive in their parking lot the next time, they pull it up. They already know what you ordered the last time before you even come in. You go to many hotels. If you have been to that hotel, you've used your credit card, you've used that chip on that credit card, some of them have the capacity now that when you drive in the parking lot, they know you're there before you even walk through the door by the chip. But instead of being in your wallet, your pocketbook, it can be in the forehand. Your forehand, it can be in your forehead or in your hand. Nobody ever see it. What they will see in that day and time, if that's the way it's done, okay, understand what I'm saying, they're going to see the mark of the beast. Because it's going to be visible. And you got to have that to have that, to be able to buy, to be able to sell, to be able to exist. Here on the set. Just some possibilities. All right, let me close with this. Verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who understand who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is six hundred and sixty-six. Six, six, six. Probably more stuff has been written about that one verse, (laughs) than anything when it comes to revelation. Everybody wants to know, what is this 666? I don't know. (laughs) Those in that day will know. Followers of Christ in the tribulation. If I'm right, we're gone. Hallelujah. You know, I believe in the pre-trib, you know that. I believe in the rapture of the church brings the end of this age and enters us into the seven years of tribulation. I know that they'll know. There's a lot of possibilities. Uh, The Lord doesn't give us any more insight than what he's given us now. We know that six is the number for man. Seven's the number for God. So this number 666 what it could possibly, there are many who think uh, who have thought and still think that it's a reference ultimately to the Pope because when he sits in what they call ex cathedra, which is he puts on a crown. It's a three-level crown. And it has on that crown in Latin words where this is the vicar, victor of the Son of God. So he's speaking on behalf of God. It's written in Latin. And the, and the numeral value of that statement is 666. So for many years and many even today, very strongly believe. Some think this is the barcode. That would go with the chip, I guess. But you know, the important thing is that we don't have to know in our day and time what that 666 means. But they will. Right?